Welcome to Love from the Hip. I am spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. This show was created with the intention of helping others. You will hear me spotlight amazing people from around the world who are making a difference in their own way. You may also hear me follow up with a guest I have hypnotized on an online version of Love from the Hip available on YouTube. Together, we can all make a difference, and it begins with love, love from the hip. Between November 1944 and December 1945, 36 men agreed to starve themselves to immense discomfort for what is known as the Minnesota Starvations Experiment. The motivation of the study had two purposes. First, to produce a definitive essay on the subject of human starvation, and second, to use scientific data to guide Allied relief assistance to famine victims in Asia and Europe at the end of World War II. The study not only showed the physical ramifications of starvation, including men too tired to wash their hair, but also the severe psychological effects. These intelligent and highly capable men spent all their time planning restaurants, reading, and reading recipes. When the researcher tried distracting them with romantic movies, rather than focusing on the love scenes, they recalled all of the food in the movie instead. Professor of Psychology at Princeton, Eldar Shafir, an economic professor at Harvard, Sendal Mulanathan, coined this the phenomenon scarcity. Together they researched the theory that when you are really desperate for something, you focus on it so much that there is no room for anything else. Eldar says, whatever is top of mind steals all your cognitive capacity for anything else you might want to do. So ultimately, when you believe you don't have enough of something, that thing you seek captures your mental capacity and actually leaves you with less. Aside from weight, money, and love, loneliness is another example of what people focus on. Eldar says the tragic impact of loneliness is that people who are very lonely are socially capable, but when they think about loneliness, they don't function very well. It steals all their insight, and they may dig themselves deeper in it. This scarcity's phenomenon carries over into our relationships and can deem them unhealthy. If we are desperately seeking for love, for example, we may overlook abusive or toxic partners just to satisfy what we think is love. If we tend to be a giver, we will only focus on giving and not receiving in a relationship. This not only causes our partner to feel inadequate, but also blocks us from getting love and support. Both of these are just examples of how, once again, in the end, we ultimately get less of the thing we are striving for. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing clinical and community psychologist, psychoanalyst, and author Mark Borg. He is coming to us via Skype from New York and will be sharing his research and insight on relationships, where our unhealthy relationship behaviors start and why, and some tools and tips to overcome them from his latest book, Relationship Sanity. Creating and Maintaining Healthy Relationships. So stick around after this quick break. Microneedling is a revolutionary treatment that can help reduce the appearance of acne scars, fine lines, pigmentation, wrinkles, even improve the appearance of stretch marks by stimulating collagen and elastin. Sakura Skin and Mind specializes in this procedure that jumpstarts your body's natural healing process. Sakura Skin and Mind believes in not only keeping the skin up to date with the latest trends in the skincare industry, but also keeping the skin beautiful, fast, pretty, painless, and affordable. Find out more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. Don't forget, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Love from the Hip, and that's HYP. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing clinical and community psychologist, psychoanalyst, and co-author of Relationship Sanity, Creating and Maintaining Healthy Relationships, Mark Borg. And he is coming to us via Skype from New York. Hi, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sakura. How are you? Perfect. Well, thanks for being on my show. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So I have to ask you how you met your co-authors, which are Grant Brenner and Daniel Berry. Well, you know, it's funny. It's a it's a neighborhood tale. We all live in the East Village of New York City. And uh, Grant Brenner and I went to the same uh, psychoanalytic institute. And Danny Barry and I were neighbors and we used to talk. And, um, you know, I started writing and thinking about this subject, uh, which I called at the time human antidepressant. And both Grant and Danny in our neighborhood conversations, in fact, there was a there was a little uh, coffee shop called Think 
in the East Village that we would sometimes run into each other and we'd have these conversations about human antidepressant, what that was, whether or not perhaps the three of us shared both some experiences and some insight on that subject and we decided to get together and start working on what we thought at the time was a book but it actually has uh, turned into much more than a book. It's become this this ever-increasing sort of snowballing project mm, okay. uh, that we're now calling the Irrelationship Project. Oh, okay. Okay. So, and is Relationship Sanity then just a sequel to another book? Well, right. So, Irrelationship was the first book. It was what we finally discovered two human antidepressants coming together don't really create what we originally thought was a pathological kind of condition that they perpetrated on each other, but more like a relationship dynamic that they undertook together. Mm -hmm. So we actually transformed or our insights into this and in, in working with clients and patients transformed our insights into this from a, from a pathological condition, human antidepressant into a dynamic, a relationship pattern that we called irrelationship. Okay. So right, so irrelationship was the first book, and we wrote this book, and we talked a lot about this uh, relationship dynamic. We call it a co-created psychological defense against the anxieties that go along with love, and we we came up with a recovery plan that we call the dream sequence, and we wrote that into the first book, but. We also have a, uh, a blog on psychology today and we just kept getting message after message after, uh, you know, letter after letter from readers saying, all well and good. Thanks a lot. You told us exactly what this irrelationship thing mm -hmm. is. But and you even gave us the dream sequence as a as a recovery process. But we want to know more. So Relationship Sanity, the new book, is actually our response to you know a lot of questions that we got about how to get into the nitty gritty of working through irrelationship uh, in actual relationship. So how would you define irrelationship for someone that isn't so savvy in psychological terms? Right. So irrelationship is a kind of compulsive caretaking routine okay. that two people engage in together to psychologically defend themselves against the anxieties that go along with love, mm -hmm. but also uh, intimacy in general. The four things that irrelationship protects the people within from are intimacy, empathy, vulnerability and emotional investment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it is kind of ironic because, you know, ir irrelationship, it is two people who come into relationship with the best of all possible intentions. They are both actually sort of, quote, caring for the other person, but they're caring for each other in a way that actually disallows the other person from offering care back in return. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see. And so did you first think of human antidepressant because it was a, some form of medicating someone in a relationship uh, or really how question. did you come up with that? Yeah. And you know, it's such a good question that it actually, <laughs> it's such a good question that actually every time I have tried to uh, go forward with the idea and maybe it'd be the third book or maybe it'd be the 12th book or yeah. maybe it was the name of the blog. People had such sort of um, confusion about what human antidepressant is that we've decided to kind of leave it aside um, because it's not it's not so much a it's not actually about medication it's more about behavioral routines it's about acting out behaviors mm -hmm. acting out behaviors basically take anxiety they stick it into our thinking and then it gets played out in our behavior where the actual anxiety and the uncomfortable emotion bypasses awareness so it's the behavior itself that is uh, that is expressing the the you know the uncomfortable or the anxious emotion, mm -hmm. and so when two people are playing out this anxiety in the very ways in which they relate to each other, there's really no room for love, for care, for intimacy, for empathy, vulnerability, and investment to get through. So in a funny way, the two people co-create a psychological defense system against the very things we all think that we want to be <laughs> in relationship for. Right, which kind of lends to what I was opening up with as the scarcity phenomenon, right? We concentrate That's so right. much on That's something right. that we end up having less. So exactly. where do these exactly. behaviors begin? The, excuse me? Where do these behaviors begin? Where are they learned? Okay, so we basically discovered that 
Uh, and we actually were, um, we uh, originally turned to the work of a guy named Harold Searles, who was a psychoanalyst working uh, with very severely uh, depressed and psychotic people back in the 70s. And what his assumption was is that people are natural born caretakers, that we, in a sense, need to care for each other. In fact, we get a lot of esteem and a sense of efficacy from the way in which we care for each other and for the other people their, for their response. So what he, what we thought and what we started to see, I especially saw this in the families I was working with and the couples, is that when a child experiences a parent as not being well, if the child sees that the parent is depressed, if the child sees that the parent is overly anxious, has some kind of addiction problem, or is you know in some ways uh, dysfunctional, what the child does is the child has to develop some kind of routine to make the ch parent feel better. Mm. Now, this is happening in the mind of a child. Mm. So it's not like the child says, literally, I'm going to go be a human antidepressant for my parent, right. or I'm going to uh, you know, be some kind of a treatment recovery program. All the child knows is that the parent isn't well. And if the parent isn't well, then the ch parent can't take care of me. Mm -hmm. So they're filling so the void in a sense. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's really, you know, your opening was was really right on point because that's exactly what the child would experience. The child would experience a sense of scarcity in the care that they were being offered by the parent. Mm -hmm. And since children see parents as the entire world, children can't really see that the problem is in the parent. They see the problem is in themselves. So they start developing, we call them song and dance routines designed simply to make the parent well. They will do absolutely everything to ensure that the parent is, you know, again, well for a child is happy, right? right. My, my parent isn't happy. I'm going to do this routine and I'll keep doing a routine. I'll keep figuring out the routine that works. For some parents, it might be a child who's good. For some parents, it might be a child who's funny. For some parent, it might be a child who's smart. I often find that it's uh, that the routine that works for parents is a child who is absent, a child who doesn't demand very much, a child who you know allows the parent to feel like they're providing enough care yeah. when they're actually not. Hmm. Okay, that's a great. So, so that's where the human antidepressant part comes from. The more kind of adult version is when you take these routines into every single relationship going forward. Uh, okay, and that makes sense. Well, hey, Mark, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we're going to have to take a quick break. So everyone stick around for more Love from the Hip. If you're planning on building a home or a major landscaping project, you want the team of Stone Resources on your side. Safely, effectively, and correctly working with our unique terrain requires local knowledge and environmental care. For 21 years, Stone Resources has been making sure their customers' biggest investment is on solid ground. Trust your next earth-moving project to Stone Resources. Call 425-754-6792. That's 425-754-6792. Stone Resources. We make the earth move. And remember, if you need dirt or have dirt to get rid of, you can call on us. 425-754-6792. Hypnotherapy helps you discover and explore deep, sustainable life changes. Let Sakura guide your communication with your unconscious mind. Rid yourself of negative behaviors, fears, pains, and emotions. Weight loss, smoking, childhood drama, chronic pain, and much more can be addressed. Begin healing now. Just $100 for the first session. Learn more. Sakura Skin and Mind.com. S A K U R A Skin and Mind. Com. Bring out the healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. Did you know that your skin is your body's first defense against disease and infection? Briotech knows and has developed their topical skin spray to enhance your skin's natural healing responses and defenses. Briotech is all about providing its customers products that help promote skin wellness. Briotech Topical Skin Spray is a light misting spray free of added fragrance, oil, alcohol, and parabens. All this protection without clogging your pores. It's a must addition to your all-around daily skincare regimen. Try Briotech, a collection of sprayers from two ounces to eight ounces. With this bundle, you can have Briotech Topical Skin Spray wherever life takes you. All natural and safe to use from head to toe. 
irritations, redness, post-procedure sensitivities? Get BrioTech Topical Skin Spray today. Years in the making, doctor recommended, and available through Amazon. Learn more at BrioTechUSA.com. That's B-R-I-O-T-E-C-H-U-S-A.com. Support your skin at BrioTechUSA.com. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150KKNW.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to tune in here every Wednesday at 2 to 3 p.m. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing clinical and community psychologist, psychoanalyst, and co-author of Relationship Sanity, Creating and Maintaining Healthy Relationships, Mark Borg. And he is coming to us via Skype from New York. And Mark, so before the break, you were talking about how a lot of times in an abandonment situation, the child really has to step it up, right, and take that parenting right. role. So right. exactly. how does how does that work then when a child is have a, has a helicopter parent? Well, I mean, again, I think that it's actually the same dynamic. I think that what the child picks up on in a helicopter parent is the parent's anxiety that the parent is acting out. Mm -hmm. So the child will allow themselves to be hovered over. They will act. I even think that a lot of times what happens, ironically, is that children will act exactly the way they need to act to get the parent's needs met. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is that helicopter parenting is an acting out of the parent's anxiety that does not allow the parent to, uh, you know, to let go of the child. We see helicopter parenting these days, following children through uh, grade school and into high school and all the way to college, even in New York, you know, we see, we see people, I see people who are in grad school and they're still on their cell phone to their parent every single day. <laughs> I don't think this is because they came from home with this deep, incredible need that they were going to fall apart if their parents weren't on top of them. I think they're still detecting this anxiety in their parents that they're trying to, in a funny way, cure. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And do you think that that's kind of the reason why more kids these days have anxiety? Well, I think that, again, I mean, it's so tricky to um, to look at this because I, you know, from the perspective of is it the parent's anxiety or is it the child's anxiety? Right. Because in this relationship system, excuse me, they're mirroring it. Exactly. Sense, yeah. and, and, in, and at least in our system, what we see in a funny way is they're co-creating it and they're right. co-sustaining it because the anxiety actually gives a rationale mm-hmm. for fixing each other for caring for each other for uh for trying to rescue each other rather than actually relate see the funny thing is if you're caring for somebody it could be a parent it could be a partner it could be a friend it could be a business partner it could be a colleague if you're caring for each other somebody so intently that like all the care that you're giving is going out like a hose you're just you know you're like spraying them down with care the amazing thing is that care actually operates in a way to disallow any care from coming back to you. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not actually taking in the care that someone else is offering, the implicit message that you're sending is that that person doesn't have anything valuable to give. Right, that they're inadequate. They're inadequate, well, right, they're inadequate. That's how they wind up feeling. Right. But if everybody thinks they're doing the caretaking, the child is anxious, the parent is helicoptering, even into grad school or maybe even in adulthood, right? Yeah. So somehow or other, the child actually has to be anxious or, uh, you know, somehow come across as anxious so that the parent will continue to do this right Mm -hmm. on top of them kind of caring. So the parent gets to feel like a caretaker by offering this barrage of care, and the child gets to feel like a caretaker because they're acting as if the care that the parent is offering is actually effective when it probably is not. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then it's also defining their relationship, correct? Exactly. It becomes this relationship. Again, we have these terms. We have this. We have. Well, you use the term helicopter parenting. So, I mean, the very idea that we have this dynamic, it's funny, just like codependency. So often we think of these things like a helicopter parent or a codependent as this thing that somebody is and then everybody else is coming to the rescue. But Mm -hmm. Grant, Danny and I discovered there are many, many, many circumstances where the helicopter parent or the codependent isn't just somebody you know, in this terrible, horrible emotional condition, they're actually somebody in a system that is performing a song and dance routine that so that everybody in that system could be a family, could be a couple, could be a business so that everybody in that system is somehow avoiding 
emotional investment. They're mm -hmm. avoiding being vulnerable with each other. They're avoiding empathy and they're ultimately avoiding intimacy, which our definition is they're avoiding actually accepting each other as they actually are. Okay. So you touched on a, I have a few questions from that, what you just said. So one is, so with the caretaker complex in a relationship, you're saying, you know, it, the other person's not, not allowed, is not, is not receiving, right? So therefore, well, they're, not, what, they're, they're, blocking they're blocking the reciprocity. Right. They're literally their giving behavior operates like a fire hose. And you know you can't get anything back inside the nozzle of a fire hose. Right. That's the image that I try to, try to um, yeah. use to help people understand what this is. Because it is a little complicated. Uh -huh. I mean, it sometimes it sounds like people are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying we, sh we shouldn't give, we shouldn't be generous, we shouldn't be kind. I'm like, no. Right. I'm right. saying that when you're giving in one direction, it's not being generous. It's not being kind. It's disallowing other people to feel like they have something good to offer. And is that then establishing this loneliness? Oh, yeah. At the core of this. In fact, I think this thing works so well to protect people from the anxieties of vulnerability that the only thing that I think allows people to break out of it from what I've seen so far is loneliness. Loneliness, I think, from my school of thinking, and this is what Grant and Danny and I believe and talk about, loneliness is the one thing that's more emotionally painful than anxiety. Loneliness, if it breaks through, might be that one emotional state that allows somebody to say, oh my God, I've been sleeping in bed with you for the last 15 years and I miss you. Hmm, wow, yeah, across the board. Yeah. Wow. Yes. It's just hard to get in touch with it sometimes because these song and dance routines that we're describing in relationship are very, very effective. They work really well. And we live in a society where, again, we are told to go out there and give. We are told to be selfless. Right. We are told to be generous. We are told to be helpful. And, and, and we completely agree with that. But I, as a psychoanalyst, can tell you that when my patient comes in and lies down on the couch and I do my work for the 45 minutes that they're here, I can tell you that though, yes, they are receiving something from me. They are receiving my attention. They are receiving my psychotherapeutic care, but they, each and every one of them at some level wants to also believe that they are contributing to me, that they are giving something back, that their willingness to lie on that couch, that they're, the fee that they pay, the fact that they're coming in and doing all this hard work. I, as a care, as a bona fide caretaker, right. you know, Somebody who's in a formal, structured, boundaried role still feel like I need to communicate to them that it is reciprocal. They are giving something back to me. Mm -hmm. Well, and they're and they're also giving it back to themselves. Exactly. Yeah, That's where so it becomes reciprocal, and it becomes this. As you said, you know, you talked about scarcity, and we know that the the solution for that is synergy. Right. So okay. it becomes this system where the more all of us put into it, the more we all feel like we are receiving back. Mm -hmm. So you said that this behavior is learned from our care from our caretakers when we're children, uh, as as far as the caretaker complex. Um, right. So how do we Heroes. change that? Uh, you know, the funny thing is, we find that it's it, back to your term loneliness. It it usually winds up happening that somebody in an ear relationship is able finally to say like, whoa, you know, I've been in this relationship for a long time and I'm so lonely. I don't know what that is. And they do start to present these invitations to their partner to actually show up because mm. people, I think, get pretty fed up right. if they're in a relationship with somebody who won't take what they have to offer. Mm -hmm. It's it's it, over the long course of time. It becomes not, you know, we don't think of the rescuers and the martyrs and the fixers and the human antidepressants in our society. We don't think of those people as being, you know, these wonderful, you know, generous people. We wind up starting to think of these people as being really quite a nuisance and they trouble us. And it's like they're out there looking for hapless victims to fix. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it comes with one person or the other in the ear relationship waking up and looking across the room or tapping somebody who's been sleeping in the same bed for generations and saying it's as simple as acknowledging that I miss you. Mm, that's great. That is the stuff yeah. we actually, in our recovery program, we call it, you know, sort of discovery is the term that we use for that. Okay. Okay. So are we constantly seeking the relationship of our caregivers though, in order to heal? Uh, I actually do. We do believe that because we are from a school of thinking that believes that human beings are geared toward health. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, we it, it you know we're not Freudian, so we're really we we took the teachings of uh, Harry Sack Sullivan and Eric Fromm and some of these uh, neo-Freudian people, and we we definitely believe that human beings are seeking health. So yes, we but I you know I don't believe that it's just we're out there seeking our opposite sex parent. Parent, I actually think what we're doing is that or the relationship that they had together, the parent. I think that what we're doing is we're looking for someone who will join us in com- in continuing the unresolved family conflict. And I actually think that's really a very hopeful, optimistic, healthy thing that, mm-hmm. you know, we get to see somehow psychologically we read each other in such a way that we go, ah, there you are. I've been looking for you, you know, for my whole life. It's you who will join me in this tough process of opening up, of getting vulnerable, of being empathetic and ultimately facing the challenge of whether or not another human being can actually accept us as Mm -hmm. we actually are. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, hey, Mark, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but we're going to have to go to a quick break. So everyone stick around for more Love from the Hip. On this weekly Skinny, I would like to talk about sodium lauryl sulfate, also known as SLS. This is an ingredient that is added to many of your personal care products, including skincare, hair care, and even your dental care products. Sodium lauryl sulfate is a chemical surfactant, which means it causes bubbles. Having bubbles doesn't necessarily mean a product is cleaning, but unfortunately, years ago, consumers were led to believe the more suds, the more clean something was. Sodium lauryl sulfate is actually used in laboratories on animals to irritate their skin so that they can then find healing agents or ingredients. So naturally for you, it will also be irritating and can even cause skin infections, including dermatitis. It is a major contributing factor to hair loss, yet ironically, you can find it in shampoos, especially men's shampoos. Combined with nitrates, sodium lauryl sulfate can form carcinogens that can enter into the body, which carcinogens, as we well know, are not good for anybody. So check your vanity and shower and make sure you are not using any products that contain sodium lauryl sulfate. Instead, look for products that say sodium sulfate free, as well as look for products that contain natural surfactants or bubbling agents. Or be okay with the fact that it may not set up completely, but rest assured it is in fact doing the job and cleansing. At Sakura Skin in Mind, we care about what you are putting on your skin and carry a wide variety of clinical skincare lines that are free of sodium lauryl sulfate. If you are interested in finding out more, email me at sakura at sakuraskinandmind.com. Your skin is your body's largest organ. Care for it properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers several clinical facial treatments to help stimulate collagen production, eliminate toxins, boost circulation, and deeply cleanse. See a new you in your mirror. Clinical facials range from $90 and up. Do your face a favor. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. URAskinandmind.com. If you're planning on building a home or a major landscaping project, you'll want the team of Stone Resources on your side. Safely, effectively, and correctly working with our unique terrain requires local knowledge and environmental care. For 21 years, Stone Resources has been making sure their customers' biggest investment is on solid ground. Trust your next earth-moving project to Stone Resources. Call 425-754-6792. That's 425-754-6792. Stone Resources. We make the earth move. And remember, if you need dirt or have dirt to get rid of, you can call on us. 425-754-6792. Broaden your horizons. You'll be amazed at all the topics we cover on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. Don't forget you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Love from the Hip, and that's HYP. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing clinical and community psychologist, psychoanalyst, and co-author of Relationship Sanity, Creating and Maintaining Healthy Relationships, Mark Borg. And he is coming to us via Skype from New York. So you ended with a great line there is pretty much loving you as you are, right? Not right. trying to change you. Right. And so you're right. in, in, in these books and these projects, you're actually helping people with intimacy, correct? Ultimately. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, actually, you know, the, the subtitle of our first book is how we use dysfunctional relationships to hide from intimacy. We actually, you know, again, we, we took this ironic circumstance. We're like, OK, we're all looking for relationships to find intimacy. But in this particular dynamic, two people come together and use the very way in which they relate to each other to hide from intimacy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it, it creates this very, very awkward difficult circumstance where you're in this relationship with a person that you, you you may very well have married this person. In my case with Grant and Danny, you know, we we started a partnership together and, you know, we got a certain ways into this project only to discover that we didn't wind up in this project by accident. You know, that mm-hmm. the three of us would sometimes pull out these you know, irrelationship, human antidepressant, compulsive care taking dynamics. You know, each one of us comes from a from a land, you know, from a realm where we're kind of in our own world, the you know, the boss. You know, I've got my own practice. Grant was a director, medical director at William Allison White. Danny is quality assurance guy at a big nursing home. You know, so each one of us came into this project. It was like a it was a writing project, it's a blog project, it's a theory building project. And each one of us wanted to be like, okay, you know, I'm gonna help this project. I'm gonna save this project. I'm gonna cure this project. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can imagine that three guys, you know, <laughs> working together to try to figure out whether or not this project can allow us to be empathetic. Can we be vulnerable? Can we have intimacy among the three of us? Can we be emotionally invested? It's been a big, big deal for us. And I think, especially in terms of the second book, Relationship Sanity, you know, a lot of where a lot of what we're offering the reader is our own experience with yeah. uh, keeping this project alive. Okay. So do you think that the length of a relationship can change whether or not you can reverse this or have that wake up call? Uh, you I know, mean, if someone's married for 20 thing. years that's, versus a new relationship. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that it, okay, for instance, I, I occasionally get a, you know, I occasionally get a, a phone call from like Harrow, you know, help a reporter out or something like this. And, and not too long ago, somebody wrote me and they're like, do you think that people who, you know, are on Tinder will never, ever wind up in a long-term <laughs> relationship? And I said, no, not at all. I, I actually think there are lots of times where the lack of seriousness that we see in something like Tinder. You know, you go mm-hmm. on Tinder and people are like, okay, it's the McDonald's for sex or something like that. <laughs> and so because of the lack of seriousness that I think some people take that, I think what happens is their psychological defenses lift. Uh-huh. And actually, I see plenty of people who are, have married people that they met on Tinder. They married someone that they met on Manhunt or Gaydar, one of these, you know, um, ostensibly purely physical, sexual kinds of uh, websites. So I think that the interesting question you're asking isn't so much length of time, Mm -hmm. but I think it's openness to actually lifting our guard and letting the other person know us. That that can happen right at the beginning of a relationship, sometimes a lot easier than it can happen when we've established this rigid kind of serious blockade in our relationship from, you know, allowing ourselves to be close. Right. Well, and doesn't that also carry over in other relationships in their life? It's not just with their partner, but their friendships and their business relationships, too, I imagine. That's really a great question, too, because it's funny, you know, when people ask me, you know, Grant and Danny and I have been working together on this project for eight years. Thanksgiving will be eight years. And wow. so <laughs> Congrats. I mean, it's a long time for three guys to be, you know, thinking Focused. about writing, about <laughs> living within intimacy. And, yeah. you know, I mean, the one like, you know, the thing that we're supposed to all be so, so terrified of. Right. But, you know, <laughs> But I have actually found, you know, well, to answer the question, I sometimes am asked, you know, what's it like working with these three guys? And what I come up with as an image is the image of marriage. You know, I'll say, well, it's like, you know, it's kind of like being married to these guys. It doesn't make Grant Brenner very comfortable. He gets a little squeamish <laughs> with the image. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, no. It's like a, it's like a, blah, 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 it's a business. You know, like, okay, okay, fine. Right. You know, right. so we still have a ways to go. But yeah, I mean, it works in all kinds of circumstances. We have a blog on psychology today that we've been, um, that we've been writing since 2014. And on that blog, we, we have uh, looked into families, we've looked into couples, we've looked into businesses. In the book, in the second book, we actually did a consultation with a band, and there were these eight guys Sweet. that were having to figure out how to be <laughs> intimate with each other. Uh-huh. They've been together for 20 years, wow. and they still have these struggles, and they didn't want to break up, but they'd had this 
crisis. A member of the band had died and they came to us because things were falling apart. They wanted to fire their manager. You know, mm-hmm. their PR person was, was bombing out and somebody in the band had relapsed. I mean, there was like all this wow. stuff going on. I know there was so <laughs> much stuff. I mean, you think a marriage is complicated, right? So we yeah. got these guys together and we sat them down and we used some of the tools. We, we, we took them through the dream sequence. We used this thing that we call the 40-20-40, which is um, basically it's a tool that creates a safe space, um, creating a middle ground for negotiating issues created by differences from each person's uh, perspective of contribution. So we, in this model, we ask people to think only about what they're contributing to the issue at hand. It could, and not just like uh, the bad stuff, like oh, you know, I didn't show up for practice, or oh, you know, I I, I blew the last uh, gig or whatever. But like really asking people to take accountability of all the contributions they're making, and uh, and not to criticize themselves or each other, creating a safe space for genuine. Interaction. Yeah, and growth, right? Yeah, exactly. So aside from someone waking up, you were saying, in a relationship, basically, right, to change the caretaker complex, do you also think, because I do hypnotherapy and I do a lot of inner child work, do you think that that could also be helpful? I absolutely do. You know, I mean, we, the, you know, I think about John Bradshaw and what, you know, he was originally, you know, getting at, you know, John Bradshaw, you know, did take a very kind of um, important look at history and where this comes from. And he brought a psychoanalytic perspective in originally. And I think that the, the inner, the idea and the experience and the work of inner child is also about what this is about, which is, you know, creating a safe space for us to be ourselves, to work through trauma, to work through, uh, you know, early difficulties and get by getting in touch with these early states of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then you also touched on intimacy being a little bit obviously harder for men. Um, so is that some of the findings that you had as well? Was, was it pretty unequal or did you find it on, on both sexes as far as the... Well, we kind of, you know, it's really, a, that's another great question because we started out assuming that intimacy might be more difficult for men. But what we find in irrelationship, remember, irrelationship is this funny thing where there are two people compulsively caring for each other in ways that disallow intimacy. So what we actually find is that if there is a relationship, it really doesn't matter the gender because one person is performing uh, song and dance routines to you know basically keep the other person entertained and distracted and cured and all that. But the other per- that's the performer. We call that role of the performer. Okay. But there's also another person in the relationship who's acting as if the performance is actually doing its job, that the performance is actually providing some kind of care when often it is not. The problem is neither person in your relationship actually shows up emotionally for the relationship. That's exactly what it defends against. So I'm finding as I go further and further into this project that it's really uh, it's not a given who's going to wind up in a relationship, who's going to wind up as a performer, who's going to wind up in as an audience. I mean, the, the only thing that is a given that I found in a relationship is the family history of having to compensate for what has felt like poor parental care, mm-hmm. that there is a compensatory issue with developing a caretaking routine for a parent who seems unhappy. And then what happens, of course, in that is you also learn to distrust care. Right. So if you're the one that has to care for everybody, you are not allowing the other person to care for you, not just because you're afraid of intimacy. That's the adult version. The child version is I'm not letting you care for me because I don't trust that you'll do a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. where it starts. So yeah. I think that's where it. I think that's where it crosses into the area that you're talking about More with so the inner the child sexes. work as well. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, Mark, we're gonna have to go to another quick, uh, quick break. But everyone, stick around for more love from the hip. Did you know that your skin is your body's first defense against disease and infection? BrioTech knows, and has developed their topical skin spray to enhance your skin's natural healing responses and defenses. BrioTech is all about providing its customers products that help promote skin wellness. BrioTech Topical Skin Spray is a light misting spray free of added fragrance, oil, alcohol, and parabens. All this protection without clogging your pores. It's a must addition to your all-around daily skincare regimen. Try BrioTech, a collection of sprayers from two ounces to eight ounces, 
With this bundle, you can have BrioTech Topical Skin Spray wherever life takes you. All natural and safe to use from head to toe. Irritations, redness, post-procedure sensitivities? Get BrioTech Topical Skin Spray today. Years in the making, doctor recommended, and available through Amazon. Learn more at BrioTechUSA.com. That's B-R-I-O-T-E-C-H-U-S-A.com. Support your skin at BrioTechUSA.com. Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial for just $120. Designed for your rugged skin, a deep cleansing clinical facial is like a one-two-three punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A SkinAndMind.com Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. What if you could overcome depression without the fogginess and other side effects of pharmaceuticals? Forensic and clinical psychologist Dr. Ronald J. Frey shares how in Feel Better. And yogi and author of Fierce Kindness, Melanie Salvatore August returns to share tips on how to enjoy the holiday season with practical tools to help you stay grounded and sane during family reunions. Join us Mondays at New Pacific Time. Catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net. Peach fuzz is great if it's on a peach. Let Sakura Skin and Mind remove unsightly hair with dermaplaning. Although its primary purpose is to remove layers of dead skin, it's just one of the added benefits leaving your skin baby smooth, safe, effective, fast and affordable. What a concept! Sakura Skin and Mind wants you to look your very best and dermaplaning is just one tool in their chest. Find out about dermaplaning at sakuraskinandmind.com. S S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. We bring out the healthy skin and healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And if you're interested in receiving a free hypnotherapy session to be recorded online and then are willing to share your experience later on the air, then email me at sakura at lovefromthehip.com. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing clinical and community psychologist, psychoanalyst, and co-author of Relationship Sanity, Creating and Maintaining Healthy Relationships, Mark Borg. And he is coming to us via Skype from New York. And so, Mark, before the break, you were talking about there's two roles in your relationships? Yes. And those are, again? The performer and the audience. Um, The performer care takes overtly by trying to fix, rescue, cure, and then the audience uh, care takes by acting as if the care of the other is effective when it is often not. No one is taking in and making use of the care that's offered by the other. Mm-hmm. And in that way, what looks on the surface like a loving relationship is actually a place or a way that people can separate and defend themselves from the things that make relationships scary. Mm-hmm. They use this dynamic to hide from what emotionally connects them to each other. Okay. And so you said there was really no difference then in gender. What about cultural and religious differences? You know, I'm, I'm really very interested in that. Um, I, I think there are a lot of religions that actually, and, and spiritual systems that do so strongly uh, support this idea of generosity and, uh, you know, caring for others. I mean, even think probably some mission work. And here we have some major, uh, you know, institutions in New York City uh, that go out and help homeless people. I mean, they're very, very, um, you know, so effective and so generous. So I think that in a funny way, yes, I think that taken too far, you could actually, you know, caretake yourself right into exhaustion. You could caretake yourself right out of, uh, you know, allowing anybody to, um, you know, to reciprocate. But I think that an interesting option to that is actually um, the 12-step model. Because, you know, if somebody could tell me, I work with a lot of uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. And so, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, it's the AA and we're freely given, you know, we were freely given this program, so we're freely giving it back. I get nothing out of it. I'm like, are you kidding? Hmm. Like people in 12-step programs know exactly what they're getting back. They're getting sobriety. Right. See, I think that, <laughs> you're, that 
the twelve step programs are absolutely anti irrelationship, meaning they are relationship sanity. Mm -hmm. I think the twelve step program is an example of relationship sanity because they are so reciprocal. Because the alcoholic who who works the steps and gets a sponsor and goes to a meeting, goes out there and starts helping other alcoholics knows they're they're getting the very most wonderful thing in the world when they give to the newcomer. Right. And right. right. So that yeah. that We're I think breaks it, the passing model. it down or paying it forward. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So and I imagine, you know, I we haven't done enough exploration of other cultures and other countries. We we have actually sold the rights to the first book to China, oh. and I will be fascinated to find out what, yeah. you know, what what does the Chinese population do with these concepts? Uh -huh. I, I would be so fascinated to see cuz I wouldn't think that it would be a simple translation. Uh -huh. I would think that someone <laughs> would have to translate the ideas and then really talk to somebody from that cultural perspective and find out what it's like. How does it work? I I, I would love to join, you know, these these projects of helping people translate uh, from other cultures. Yeah, absolutely. And it would be so helpful. Um, mm. So I wanted to ask you, because you, you talked about Tinder, so I wanted to ask about millennials. <laughs> and so just Tinder being one example, I feel like they're, they're not able to be as vulnerable as other generations. Um, do you see this impacting or changing the level of in, in, intimacy or empathy or vulnerability? Well, you know, again, I, I tend to take kind of an ironic look at some of these things, and I work with millennials in my practice, and what I wonder, I don't have, uh, you know, I don't have an exact answer to that, but I do wonder if there's a funny kind of reversal to what I said earlier about Tinder. You know, I said Tinder might actually operate ironically as a way that people engage um, sexually or in relationships where they're kind of caught off guard, you know, their defenses aren't so strong because they don't mm -hmm. take it very seriously. Right. And I, what I'm seeing in millennials is sort of the opposite. I'm seeing that millennials and all of these kind of stereotypes that they're being um, they, that they're being blasted with is partly because they're taking their time. It's mm. partly because they're not jumping in. It's partly because maybe they are learning vicariously from the mistakes of the generations be, behind them. And I wonder if they might not be very ripe for hearing about tools to make relationships more reciprocal so they don't have to count on just going out there the way their parents did with no tools completely ill-equipped <laughs> you know yeah, yeah exactly you know, Okay. Next generations might very well be equipped in ways that we weren't, in ways that our parents weren't. You know, and again, we're not here to criticize our parents or even our, certainly not ourselves. We're here to say that a lot of us have gone out into the land of relationship, be it romantic, be it business, be it friendship, without tools and without insight into things like, oh, right, maybe you don't just give maniacally to everybody all the time. Maybe mm -hmm. that takes a toll and maybe that person doesn't feel so loved and cared about if you're not letting them love you back. Right. Or maybe it's OK to show emotion. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <too>. Maybe. <laughs> so what are, what are three takeaways from your latest book? Well, I think that the most important takeaway is this idea that you got to put the hose down, please. Put the hose of care down. Let other people love you. Is in fact, I thought I heard during the break somebody to love, right? The old Queen yeah. song. <laughs> it's a great intro. Right. And why? The, and I think the original uh, intro was uh, what Pete Townsend, uh -huh. right? Uh, yep. Let my love open the door. I my show is all about love, Mark. Oh, your show is all. And these are like my. I love these songs. Like, I just like let my love open the door. What could be better? So, insight one: let somebody love you. Insight two, balance it out. Make sure that you allow yourself to, to, to receive as much as you give. And we're not in any way detracting from the generosity. So insight two is good news. You get to hold on to your, your generosity. And insight three is all of these things are happening. This thing that I talked about at the end of, before one of those breaks about as you are, mm -hmm. the wonderful takeaway from the whole project is we are working toward allowing ourselves to accept each other and ourselves as we actually are. And the only way that we can do that is if we re-engage those four things that a relationship protects us, ironically protects us from. And that's intimacy, empathy, vulnerability, and emotional investment. Wow. You know, we're trying to help people be here now. Right. We're trying to help people find each other. And in finding each other, we get to find these lost parts of ourselves too. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. So you, so your relationship, relationship sanity, I mean, you have kind of hinted as more projects are coming. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, well, because we keep, <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so, yes. So relationship sanity was an answer to the question of, can you give us tools to more specifically address your relationship? And so relationship sanity was the answer. And now we keep getting asked this question. I think it's somewhat implied in our conversation here, is can <laughs> one be in a kind of irrelationship with themselves? I think the inner child idea might, might dovetail with that. Mm -hmm. And so our third book that we're working on now is about this idea of self-irrelationship and helping people who are not in relationship find ways to work through your relationship before they even get there you oh, know? that's excellent well we're, we're coming to a close here but before we go mark how can my listeners find you so Grant, Danny, and I, Grant Brenner, Danny Barry, and myself, we have a, a website called irrelationship.com. You can find us there. We have two blogs on psychology today. One is called Irrelationship, and the other is called Relationship Sanity. Uh, we our book is you know basically for sale anywhere you type in Relationship Sanity. I think we are the ones that come up. And just just so you know, the second book is a response to direct questions we were asked by readers and we are thrilled when people write to us at any of these uh media outlets so that we you know you're we're yeah. in a kind of reciprocity and a synergy with our readership and it's been wonderful oh that's so amazing well thank you so much and i look forward to your next book <laughs> for sure <laughs> thank you yeah, thanks for having fun it's been a blast thank you well, that's all the time we have for today, and I want to again thank Mark Borg for joining us from New York, Eric, my producer, and you, the listener. And you can find me at lovefromthehip.com or sakuraskinandmind.com. You can also follow me on Instagram or Facebook and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Love From The Hip, and that's HYP. Remember, if you are interested in being hypnotized in an online edition of Love From The Hip and sharing your experience with li listeners later on the air or have any questions or comments, then feel free to email me at sakura at lovefromthehip.com. Stick around for the Get Hip segment and tune in next Wednesday at 2 p.m. for another Love from the Hip and make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare you. On this week's Get Hip segment, I would like to talk about a session I had with a client for weight loss. Although I see many people for weight loss, their reasons for struggling are never ever the same. Their habits may be, but their reasons not so much. This client I saw was a woman in her early 60s. She actually had struggled with her weight since she was young. In the session, she came to find out that the reason her weight kept going up and down and nothing was working was because she truly did not like herself. She grew up in a foreign country that was culturally different and didn't honor the traditions she knew. She naturally felt out of place and even stood out physically because she did not look like the majority of people who lived there. She felt a bit like an alien and as a child, this was very tough on her, so she became tough on herself. When one cannot accept themselves nor love themselves or even like themselves, why would they become their ideal physical self? Her body had given up because her mind had already been made up that she was not good enough, that she was fat, and that she was ugly. She had only ever focused on all the negative self-talk, and there became little to no room for positive self-talk, which is more motivational and life-changing. She began to change her self-talk for the better, and slowly the weight started to drop and stay completely off. She started to love herself again, which her body had been waiting for for a long time. If you are interested in trying hypnotherapy for weight issues, feel free to email me at sakura at lovefromthehip.com. <laughs>